Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. Come on, mate. Great to be along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, going to be having a chat about the affair of the diamond necklace. I don't know if you heard this story before. It's an absolute crack. I'll tell you that much. Uh, it was a scandal in the lead-up to the French Revolution. It's a, an often overlooked piece of history, but a very interesting story. Almost plays out like a, a piece of theatre. It's a very, very dramatic uh, little, little, little tale here. Um, but it did have an important effect in the lead-up to this revolution, as I say, uh, because it damaged the the already pretty blasted reputation of, of Marie Antoinette. Marie Antoinette, you may have heard of her. She's, uh, she's mainly famous for having never said, let them eat cake. Anyway, for this story, we're going back to the 1770s, when Louis XV is in charge of the Kingdom of France. Now, some historians reckon that this bloke was... Uh, Rather, hmm, rather easily persuaded by uh, his female companions, shall we put it that way. He was led around by the end of his, uh, well, you, you get the picture. Anyway, he is essentially going around hiring and firing ministers based on whether his mistress at the time liked them or not and that sort of thing. And it's got out. People know that this was what he's about. Anyway, he is dead set on this chick, Madame Du Barry, right? He's that keen for a bit of Netflix and chill with this uh, with this woman that uh, what he does is he commissions this stupidly expensive diamond necklace for her in 1772. He gets this duo of Parisian jewellers named Burma and Bassange to make this, uh, this stupid necklace, this ridiculous necklace, right? It takes them years and years to get hundreds of diamonds together and the necklace ends up being worth 2 million livres, right? which today is worth over $18.5 million dues. This necklace is worth, you know, half a small country. It's obscenely expensive, and it's all because this guy is uh, is just keen, to, you know, to get to know this uh, Madame du Barry a bit better. The problem is, the problem here is that the bastard goes and bloody dies of smallpox before it uh, before it's even finished. While it's being made in 1774, Louis XV he dies. Now his successor, you may already know this is Louis, well Louis the Sixteenth, obviously, um, but he's the king when the French Revolution takes place. So he and his wife Marie Antoinette. Uh, you know, are not the most popular rulers, and they end up getting rather aggressive haircuts with a guillotine in uh, in 1793 during the the uh, the Jacobins' reign of terror. But uh, anyway, back in 1778, when the necklace is finally finished, Louis the Sixteenth he doesn't want it. He doesn't want anything any to come anywhere near it. He's already known for excess, and he's already unpopular with you know for the, for mismanaging the finances of the country, and as a result. He's just not going anywhere near it. The other theory is perhaps that Marie Antoinette doesn't want it because she's a stuck-up piece of work who won't wear someone else's jewellery, you know, or because it's a huge waste of money and she knows it. In any case, Marie Antoinette and Louis XVI, they're not interested in this necklace. So this, you know... I get, you can understand their reasoning here. First of all, the Kingdom of France is just financially ruined uh, because they've been bankrolling the American Revolution is the principal reason for this. So there's there's no, you know, the financial situation is, is just beyond repair at this point. Uh, Marie Antoinette, as I said, already seen as, uh, you know, as this, this woman who sort of pisses away money on stupid rubbish and, and, and you know, perhaps they didn't want to make her reputation worse. And the unpopularity of the French royal family, it, I guess, you know, it means they're not, not really something they're looking to add fuel to the fire to, you know, by buying a, a two million livre neck, necklace here. 
So now we get on to the main character of the story. The stage is set. There's this expensive necklace kicking around that uh, you know that the French royal family are interested in. And this is where our hero comes in. Her name is Jeanne de Valois-Saint-Rémy. And if I've said that wrong, well, I'm not surprised. Uh, she's born in 1756 as the child of an impoverished noble, Jacques de Valois-Saint-Rémy, and a servant girl that he uh, rather liked the look of. Now, this bloke, uh, Jacques, he's a, a, a bit of a drunkard and just a, a, you know, a bit of a rubbish bloke, to be honest. Uh, he neglects his uh, three surviving kids. He had six of them all together. And uh, they all end up as beggars, unfortunately. Uh, these kids are eventually scooped up by another noble family and given a pension by the royal family. So they're looked after in that way. And as a result of this, uh, Jeanne goes to a boarding school. Uh, and then in 1780, at the age of 24, she marries a bloke named Marc-Antoine Nicolas de la Motte, right? It's obviously a bit of a shotgun wedding because uh, she immediately has twins a month a month after they're married. Uh, but the twins unfortunately don't survive infancy because uh, uh, the 18th century was pretty rubbish when it came to you know keeping babies alive. So that's uh, that's a bit of a tragedy early on in, in Jeanne's life there. Jeanne ends up with a bit of a taste for the finer things in life, however, uh, after living amongst no- the nobility in Versailles. Uh, now, before Jean has settled down with this bloke and, and had these kids, she was, you know, living, you know, she was really living it up with the, with the nobility in Versailles, and she got a bit of a taste for the finer things in life. Now, because her husband isn't chucking around the cash like she wants him to, she starts to fiddle around with other blokes, and she, she takes up with this bloke whose name is Reto de Villette, uh, and uh, he is her husband's mate, and also, absurdly, a, a gigolo as well, so, you know... Just a jack of all trades, apparently. Uh, anyway, after getting sick of him in 1783, uh, she, she, she starts to get involved with another bloke uh, whose name is Cardinal Prince Louis de Rohan. Pro- really don't feel like I'm doing these French names very well, but whatever. Anyway, let's just go with Rohan. Rohan is desperately trying to get in uh, Marie Antoinette's good books because he wants to be a minister for Louis XVI. Now, this wasn't happening because he'd already talked, uh, well, he'd already sort of said a couple of rather inopportune things about her mum and Marie Antoinette wasn't about to forget it. So our, uh, our mate Jeanne, right, she sniffs an opportunity to uh, to give this guy the short end of the stick and make a bit of cash and this is where the necklace comes back into it because obviously Rohan, desperate to, uh, to curry favour with Marie Antoinette and Jeanne sees a way to uh, exploit that for her gain. So the con is on. Jeanne knows that uh, Burma and Bassange are desperate to sell this necklace because they've invested a fortune in it and they are stone cold broke. So she's armed with that information. And she talks to the previous bloke that she'd been with. You remember his name was Reto de Villette, uh, who happens to be handy with a pen and can forge letters like nobody's business. She also goes uh, goes to her husband, her husband Nicholas, who <laughs> she's still married to. Uh, and despite their marriage being, you know, absolutely in the toilet, uh, he's still up to make some cash. So she's got these three blokes on the go here. Uh, and they're all, well, sorry, the two blokes are going to help to uh, sort of exploit and, and, you know, pull one over this third bloke, uh, Rohan. So Jean goes to Rohan and says, listen here, mate, I can get you in really good with the Queen. We're good mates. We're thick as thieves we are. Don't even worry about it. And Rohan, he can't believe his luck. He's going, oh, bloody hell, really? That's fantastic. Um, and, and Jean goes, mate, listen, I can deliver you a letter or whatever you want to Marie Antoinette, who... Let's remember, she has absolutely nothing to do with. She doesn't even know the Queen at this stage, or, you know, definitely not on, you know, not not mates with her at any, any stage. And uh, Jean, uh, sorry, Rohan, on the other on the other hand, he, he falls for a hook line and thinks, like, absolutely, yep, writes out these letters, take them off to the Queen, no worries at all. So Jean takes these letters and starts to, you know, well, 
supposedly delivered them to the, the Queen, but what she does instead is take them to uh, Rateau, who you remember is a, very, he's a master forger. He's very good with it, very handy with a pen, and he starts forging these letters from Marie Antoinette. So Rohan thinks he's corresponding with the Queen when, in fact, Rateau is the one writing all of, the, uh, all of the, these uh, letters. Now, Rotto, he does make one small mistake when writing these letters. He signs them Marie Antoinette de France. Not Again, not how you're going to say it in French. I've given that ship, I think, as well and truly sailed. Uh, when, in fact, French royals, they didn't use the any honorifics or like They just signed it their first name. That was it. They didn't use last names or, or anything else like that. Just their first name, and that was that. Anyway, that doesn't matter for now. After a bit of back and forth, the Queen, quote-unquote, the Queen, suggests a secret nighttime meeting in the gardens in Versailles. Now, Rohan, he can't believe his luck. He is keen as mustard and so puts on his glad rags and goes to meet her in this nighttime, nighttime rendezvous, except obviously it's not the Queen. The Queen doesn't even know anything about this. Marie Antoinette is completely ignorant that this plot is happening. So instead, Jeanne has actually organised for a prostitute whose name is Nicole to meet with Rohan in the garden scene. Now, Rohan, he's a hopeless romantic, and, is, and he meets up with Nicole. He gives her a rose and everything like it's the bloody bachelorette. Um, and anyway, she says that she'll forgive him for the remarks that he made in the past and, and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, they're getting on like a house on fire. Remember, this is not the queen. This is a prostitute pretending to be the queen. Rohan, he's stoked. Can't believe it. He's having a great time. It's all going perfectly. And now this is when Jeanne kicks the grift into Top Gear. So with Rohan well and truly on the hook here, Jean and Rateau forge a new letter from Marie Antoinette. This one says, check this out, Rohan, my mate. I'm super keen on this necklace, but my bloody idiot husband won't buy it because he says the country has no money or some rubbish. I don't know. I wasn't listening. But the point is, I want this necklace. Rohan reckons that if he gets this necklace for her, then he will be in like Flynn. So on the 21st of January, 1875, Jean gives Rohan this letter asking him to be the secret intermediary between the jewellers and the Queen. Now, Rohan, obviously 100% on board and agrees to help to sneak the money to the jewellers and all that sort of stuff. And he meets with Burma and Bassange and shows them these forged letters from the Queen and snags the necklace from them. They're stoked because they've finally sold this bloody necklace to the Queen. They've finally got rid of it and they're going to be paid, obviously. And Rohan, he's as happy as Larry as well. He goes and delivers the necklace to someone who he thinks is the Queen's valet, in reality, of course. It's Jean's husband, Nicholas, right? So he's in on the con as well, you remember. And then he buggers off to London and starts flogging the diamonds individually. So it's worth pointing out at this stage, something that, uh, that's important to keep in mind here. Everyone involved in this is happy. Everyone involved in this right now, they're absolutely stoked about how this is, is, is turning out. Because uh, as far as they're all concerned, it's a win, 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 win for everyone, right? Number one, Rohan, he can't believe his luck because he thinks he's going to be the object of the Queen's desire now and, uh, and you know, get involved in some royal affairs here. Uh, and so he's grinning like a shot fox. Burma and Bassange, they've finally offloaded this bloody necklace that this idiot king from years ago had ordered, so they're happy as well. Jeanne and her boyfriend and her husband are all rich as anything and absolutely loving it now that they've got this necklace, they're flogging these diamonds. And I suppose the broader French population probably aren't that stoked about the whole thing because they're starving and, have, and are having the pants taxed off them. But, you know, that, I guess we can't all be winners. Anyway, 
It all stuffs up beyond belief, as, you go, as, you, as you'd expect. Of course it does. Because after a while, Rohan realises that the Queen isn't even slightly more interested in him. And on top of that, Burma and Bassange, they start whinging because they, haven't, they still haven't been paid. Uh, so eventually, Burma and Bassange, they go to Marie Antoinette and they say, listen here, you Madge, honestly, mate, you are, you're taking the piss. Uh, how about that cash for the ice that we hooked you up with? Uh, you've got had the necklace for ages, and uh, we would uh, honestly, we'd love to see those dollary dues uh, because yeah, pay pay your bill. Pay, time to pay the pipe. Well, not the piper. Time to pay the jeweler. That, that doesn't have the same ring to it, but still, give us the point is give us money. She says, "What are you blokes talking about? I've got no idea about this necklace. I mean, you know, Louis the Fifteenth ordered it, and I haven't heard of it since, so I don't remember inviting you to my barbecue. So why are you all up in my grill?" And Marie Antoinette realises once they've explained, uh, the the jewellers explain what happened with Rohan and Marie Antoinette realises someone's pulled a fast one here and they've they've been besperching her good, well, not her good name, besperching just her name uh, in, in order to obviously pull off some kind of a con here. So Marie Antoinette and Louis XVI, they decide to arrest Rohan, but they can't resist a little bit of theatre in doing this here. So what happens is this. On the 15th of August in 1785, Rohan is supposed to be doing the service for the Assumption of Mary. He's a a cardinal, which I I think I mentioned beforehand, but honestly, who knows? I I can't remember myself. Anyway, he's he's a cardinal. So he's he's having to deliver this this sermon, this, this, this service, whatever. I don't know. Anyway, instead of doing the the usual, the bread and the wine and the cheese and whatever it is that Catholics do, I don't really know. Uh, he finds himself arrested in front of the court. So you know, bit of a bit of a twist in the in the tail for him there. Not expecting that one. The king asks him just what the bloody hell uh, he thinks he's up to there. You know, stuffing around with a necklace and doing all this other business in the name of the queen. And he says, No, 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 mate. It's all good. Don't even worry about it. Sorry for the mix-up. Here's a letter from your missus. She wants me to buy this necklace for her because, you know, you can't because the peasants are starving or something. I don't know. I wasn't really listening to that part either, but but I was just doing I was doing your, your queen a favour. And Rohan, he gets out one of the letters that, that had been had been sent, these forged letters, and Louis, Louis immediately realises that it's a fake because it's signed, as I said, it's signed Marie Antoinette de France, which, again, if you'll remember, is not how she would have done it. So the king is absolutely ropeable. He carts him off to the Bastille, which, of course, you remember, is only th- about three or four years away from being stormed during the revolution. Um, but at this stage, Rohan, realising that uh, he is up a certain creek without a certain paddle, uh, he he dobs in uh, Jeanne. So poor old Jeanne gets arrested three days later, along with Rateau, and, if you believe it, poor old Nicole as well, the the the, the woman who was, uh, was impersonating the queen. So... These uh, these four are arrested, these four conspirators, along with another bloke, for some reason, he had nothing to do with it at all. His name was Alessandro uh, Cagliostro, and he had nothing to do with his plot, but he's just chucked into the dungeon for good measure. Uh, Marie Antoinette insists on a public trial to defend her reputation. Now, hilariously enough, it has the exact opposite effect. Because Rohan, he hasn't done anything wrong except for being, you know, a bit of a bloody silly galah. Uh, he's, he's acquitted by the court straight away as uh, Nicole and uh, fortunately uh, Cagliostro because again he had nothing to do with it and you know so he gets off scot free luckily. Now Rohan he still gets exiled I guess that's his punishment uh, and Rateau also uh, gets exiled as he was found uh, guilty of forgery. Uh, Cagliostro was also exiled but that was <laughs> but that was because. <laughs> That was because the king thought he was a sorcerer. Uh, that is not a joke. So the three of them get off essentially scot-free, although they have to leave France, which is, in the scale of punishments, 
not really that much worse than a slap on the wrist. Being forced to leave France? Oh, no, please, don't make me leave France. Oh, no, that's awful. Anyway, Jean is also found guilty. She's obviously the mastermind behind this whole plot, so she's facing a much more, she's much, facing a much harsher punishment. Um, but the thing is, even though she's found guilty, public opinion held that Marie Antoinette was actually the guilty party here and that she was scapegoating onto these other poor bastards who had been arrested. So when Jeanne is sentenced to being whipped, branded and chucked in a prison, the public took her side and the massively unpopular queen went down like a fart in an elevator. No one could, no one wanted to take her side at all. So Jeanne, she manages to escape from prison by dressing herself up like a boy and then flees to London. And it's there that she writes a book and I'm going to have a red hot go at this one. It is called The Memoirs Justificatifs de la Comtesse de Valois de la Motte. Absolutely crushed that one. Absolutely bloody crushed that one. Um, in which she tried to defend what she'd done. Um, now, she lived there until uh, 1791 uh, when she died after falling out of a hotel window. Again, can't make this up. Well, you could, but didn't have to. That is just how it went. Uh, theories, there are a lot of actually, you know, the, the whole falling out of a window thing. There are quite a few theories about it, uh, which include her being murdered by French royalists or hiding from someone that she owed money to. Uh, in any case, if that's the truth, if that's the truth, then it seems a leopard never really changed its spots. But the most important part of all of this, you know, this is obviously a you know an interesting, a funny story about a necklace and about a con and all that sort of stuff. But there is an important, there's there's a level of historical weight to this story as well, because the the affair of the diamond necklace, as it as it uh, went on to be known, is that. Marie Antoinette's reputation never recovered from this scandal. Uh, and she was obviously more or less hated by everyone already. You know, this this thing only made it worse, and she was never able to turn it back around after this. So this enormous unpopularity of the French royal family, it helped obviously to spur on the, the French Revolution, which of course kicked off only a few years later and ended up being one of the most important, if not the most important historical event in the last couple of centuries. But of course, that's another story. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the affair of the diamond necklace. The con is on, or it was on at least until, you know, poor old Jean fell out of a window. That's that for this week. Of course, just your general weekly reminder that half Ass History is your place for everything you need to know about the show. It's there you can find links to our email address, uh, the Twitter account, of course, and the Patreon if you want to chuck me a buck or two uh, for all of these episodes. I've still got stickers to give away. Send me an email, History at gmail.com. Include your address and I'll send out those stickers free of charge. No worries at all. Closing out the show this week, as we do every week, with a question posed on Reddit. This week, Reddit historian Skekekt has something for us to think about. In the entire, we've talked about we've talked about a lot of jewellery this week. Uh, obviously, talk about necklaces, what have you. Um, and so, in the entire history of espionage, there's, they're always talking about spy rings, always talking about rings, that sort of stuff. But we never hear anything about spy necklaces or other types of spy jewellery. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, no, nah, that that one really that, that was a bit of a stinker. Didn't really come together this week. <laughs>